Good evening, Walter Spires. I am delighted to be with you, and I'm thankful that you're joining tonight. This is going to be an exciting message. It's an exciting time. It's a new year. It's a new year, and God has promised to be making all things new, and I'm going to give you the context of that. I'm going to help you understand what God's got for you that's new and how to find that. So before we start, let me pray us in. Father God, thank you for this word. I am excited to teach tonight, excited to open your word, excited to share your word with people who are hungry for your word and those who just want to know, Lord, where are you? How do we get out of the malaise and the the doldrums and all the discouragement of the last year and a half, going on two years now? How do we find that which is new for you, new and fresh anointings, fresh fire in our bellies and our souls and our spirits that we may be filled with your Holy Spirit and ready to live and love and look more like Jesus to a world that is lost and dying for hope that he alone can give. Oh, Lord God, be with us tonight. Holy Spirit, let there be minds open and hearts open to receive you that some may be saved. Even tonight, some may be saved and that your conviction, Holy Spirit, would come on those who need to draw back and return to you, and there would be those who would simply say yes and amen to what's going to be taught. For Christ's sake, amen. Wow. And I was having some quiet time the other day on the 1st of January, and the Lord began just speaking to me, and I'm journaling as I always do. I started a new journal. So my new journal for this year. I'd encourage you to get a journal if you don't have one. Just start journaling. Write down what you're studying. Write down what the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, how the God is speaking to you. Write down your issues and concerns and the things that bother you and trouble you. Write those things down and let the Lord know. Because David said that, you know, God is concerned about those things that we are concerned about. And he is. And he is. And so tonight I want to share with you that God has said, I'm going to make all things new. And in Isaiah 43, verse 19, I'm going to start with that. It's kind of the verse underneath the title. Isaiah speak, or God is speaking through Isaiah and Isaiah 43, and this is not current. This is stuff that's going to happen in the future, but I believe in the Holy Spirit has allowed us as Christians to take things that applied then and not take them out of context, but see how they apply to our lives today. That's what he intended. We'll talk more about context later. In Isaiah 43, 19, he said this, God said this in Isaiah, Behold, I am doing something new. Now it will spring forth, but will you be aware of it? Will you know that it's going on? We even know God is doing new things all the time. He's doing new things in us and through us if we allow him. But we're going to talk about that tonight, so let's keep going. There are two things for us to have for us to have new beginnings, for us to have new beginnings. And, and find out what's new from the Lord, what he has new for us this year. A couple of things we need to do first that have, dealing with, that have to do with dealing with the past, dealing with the past. We got to break the old things of the past to find those new beginnings. So let me give you two examples. The first thing is to break with the past, to break with the past. In Psalm 107, the psalmist wrote this in verses 10 and 11. And by the way, I've finished this message. I've updated, cleaned up the notes today. I will post this soon so you can look this up. If you have your Bibles, open your Bibles to Psalm 107, and we're going to go through a number of things. So you're going to need to be going with me through your Bible. And I want you to do that because one of the things I'm challenging all those on my podcast this year, challenging hard, is to get into the Word of God. Where's that sheet? 
I printed what you can print. This is a Bible uh, through the year, through the Bible in one year reading plan. I like the chronological version, which means we go the way chronologically, the time order of things happening. Many of you know the Bible wasn't put together in time order. It was ordered in groups of books, law, history, poetry, prophets, minor and major, and then the New Testament. So I want to encourage you strongly to get in the Word of God, to get a good study Bible and get in the Word of God. If you start today, you're only a few chapters behind, but get going. In Psalm 107, 10 and 11, the psalmist wrote this. There were those who dwell in darkness. That sound like you? been dwelling in darkness. A lot of people today dwelling in darkness. Satan is the prince of power of the air and the power of darkness. That's Satan's world. They dwell in darkness in the shadow of death. That's Satan's world. Prisoners in misery and chains. Prisoners in misery and chains. I have ministered to prisoners for many years and not those specifically in chains like we used to see in the old days, but we're talking about chains, spiritual chains, chains of bondage, chains that hold people down and hold them back. Prisoners in misery and chains. Why? Because they had rebelled against the word of God and they had spurned the counsel of the Most High. You see, many people voluntarily opened the door to that jail cell or told the prison guard at the gate to open it up and let them in. Well, that's stupid, isn't it? That's foolish. Why would someone do that? Because they are welcoming the chains and the misery and the darkness that binds us by spurning the word of the Lord, by spurning people like me who come to teach, by spurning anything they hear that tells them that they are sinners. People don't want to hear that. Not, not enough churches are preaching the fact that we are sinners. And we are lost apart from Jesus Christ. You will always hear that uh, preached, taught by me every time I stand up to teach. These people were in chains and misery. The good news, the good news is this. The good news is this, and it is good news. It's bad news, it's good news. Almost always is, and especially for Christians. In 1 Corinthians 10, 13, there's a verse I learned many years ago as a young Christian man. And Paul wrote these words to encourage the Corinthians, and, and he wrote many letters to them because they were such a mess. It was church, it was such a mess, and it's mindful of many churches today and many Christians today. And he said, no temptation no temptation has overtaken you except which is common to men, like you know, things that we all go through. We all go through these things. And God will not allow you to be tempted by, beyond what you can handle. We say, well, I have been, and I did this, and I gave in. Well, you did. You gave in. You didn't, you didn't finish the, the verse. You didn't finish what God had. You decided instead to rely on your own strength, on your own will, on your own wiles, thinking, well, I'm smart enough to work my way out of that. And many people, men and women, are alcoholics are in prison that I've ministered to for many years. They're there for this reason. They didn't bother to wait and listen and hear how God was going to do what? He said, he won't allow you to be tempted by what you're able, but with the temptation will provide a way of escape, a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. That's a promise. And we'll get the promises of God as we wrap this up. But that's a promise right there. So if you're in chains, if you're in misery, if you've put yourself in prison or you've allowed Satan to put you into prison, if you're born again in Christ, God's got, got a way for you out of that, out of that. He doesn't want you there. If you're born again in Christ, you do not belong there. That is not your place. No, it is not. It is not. And if you're lost, I've got the answer for you as well, but we're going to wait and talk about that a little bit later. So get a break with your past. So those who dwell in the darkness. They're there. They, they just don't know how to get out from under their past. 
you've got to be willing to walk away from that past. And that's hard for some people. It's very hard for some people. You know, sometimes it's simply a pride thing. Sometimes you just don't want to. I know people that are comfortable being in jail, being in prison, going back. It's better than out on the street. They get three squares a day and a place to lay down that's not wet and cold. Some people like that. It's a lifestyle. It's a very sad thing in our country, just like some homeless folks. Some homeless people enjoy that when the weather's bad, but other times they've gotten into this, this rut and this horrible place in life where they've forgotten how to enjoy and let God come and help change their circumstances. I'm not being insensitive. I've worked with people like that and been around them for decades now. It's my favorite place to be and my favorite place to teach and preach. But sometimes you got to be willing to get up and move on and change your circumstances. And other times you say, well, I've tried. I just can't do it. I'm stuck in this addiction. I've been with many people in addiction, men and women, many people in addiction. Sometimes it is just stubborn pride and you won't do it. You don't even try. You, you stop caring. Sometimes, whether it's addictions or depression or things that are really serious mental health issues, sometimes you need professional help. The Bible doesn't speak against that. God gave men and women the wisdom and education and training to be able to help people in these times. If, if that's what you need, go find good biblical counseling. If you need to go see someone medically trained, go find that person. And don't be ashamed or afraid to take medicines if you need to. If that's what they tell you will help you for a season, get through these difficulties. Don't do that. No one should stand and preach against those things. God ordained all of those things. He did. But we have to break with our past. We have to break with our past. We have to let those chains that bind us fall off and release us so that we can walk freely in the power of the Holy Spirit. So the first thing you got to do is, is, is stop dealing with the past. Your past is past. There's nothing you can do. Some of us want to fix the stupid, foolish things we did in our past. I'm one of those. I'd love to. You know what? I have no chance to do that. It is gone. It is past. Seek forgiveness where you can, but a lot of times it's just nothing there. And we need to move on. We need to keep moving forward. Because the second part of this, the forgetting about our past, is what Jesus said. Don't look back. Stop looking back. Don't be doing this. Let me look back over your shoulder, wondering how things might have been, or if I just had this, or if I just had that, or if this had happened rather than that happening, or God had put this person in my life, or if I just had money then. All these things you can think about that might fix your past, it doesn't matter. It's past. It's gone. There's nothing you can do about it. One of Jesus' strongest admonitions, I'm going to read to you Luke 9, Luke 9, 61, 62. And he said these words. The people were all lining up to follow him, and so many people wanted to follow after him. And we know there were a lot of followers and few disciples. And so one young man said to him, Lord, I'll follow you, but first let me go say goodbye to those at home. Another said, well, let me go bury my father. And Jesus said to them, real matter-of-factly, no, no one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of heaven. That's a strong word. No one who once you said, I'm Lord, I'm following you, you're receiving Christ as Savior, but let, let me go fix a few things back here. Jesus, no, 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 no. If you'd rather do that, then you're really not focused on me. If you'd rather do that, you're still conflicted in your decision. See, sometimes, and you know that I teach a lot on challenging people whether they truly are born again in Christ or not. 
uh, those in and out of the church, but especially in the church, just a calling God's put on my life. And it's a very difficult thing to do and teach, but it's what he said to do because the concern, the concern that he has for people in the church, people who call themselves Christians, just like Jesus is talking about here. If you're really more concerned about burying the dead or going back and saying goodbye to someone or doing whatever you need to do back here, you didn't get it. You didn't understand who I am and who it is you're following and the opportunities that lie ahead. You're still thinking about the past. You can't do that and be born again in Christ. You can't do that. He said that person is not fit for the kingdom of heaven. That's what he's talking about. That's a strong admonition, a strong admonition. The Apostle Paul talking about his own life, and we know that no one suffered as much as Paul did, except Jesus going to the cross. But throughout the life of his ministry, this amazing Jew, this Jew of Jews, Pharisee of Pharisees, brilliant man, brilliantly trained, radically converted, as you know the story in the road to Damascus. But after that, his life was hell on earth so that he would gain heaven. The beatings and the sufferings and the shipwrecks and all the stuff he went to, imprisonment after imprisonment, and Paul said in Philippians 3, these words in 13 and 15, he said, brothers and sisters, I do not regard myself as taking hold of it yet. In other words, I haven't arrived. A lot of times Christians will find things going well and say, man, I have finally arrived in Christ. No, you haven't. No, you haven't. You haven't arrived until you arrive on the other side. You are arriving, present participle. You haven't arrived. And Paul said that I haven't arrived. He said, I haven't taken hold of it. One thing that I do one thing I do, I forget what lies behind and I reach forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I'm forgetting this stuff. I'm forgetting that I was beaten nearly to death. And he was that he took the whip, the 39 lashes multiple times where the skin just was peeled off his back. Forgetting that stuff, forgetting all the nasty, filthy prisons he was in, even the ones that were more like house prison. Forgetting all of that stuff, he's got his eyes on Christ. Why? Because Jesus appeared to him on that road, and he was forever changed. And if you're born again in Christ, and Christ has appeared to you in that, and you have seen who you were before he saved you, man, we will keep our eyes focused. And, and the Holy Spirit lit me up the other day with this. And that's why this is going to be a new year for me and a different year for me. And these things that God is, is putting in fresh fire, the new and fresh anointings, He'll do it for you. And that's what led me to teach this message tonight. Okay, We want that fresh fire. We want those new and fresh anointings of the Holy Spirit to keep us moving forward. Forget what lies behind. It doesn't matter. If you screwed it up royalty, royally like I have many times, so what? So what? If you're born again in Christ, you confess that sin. He said, I'll remember that no more. I've forgotten it. Why can't you? Why can't you? All right. Well, I want to ask you four questions to start this new year. First one is this. Do you really want what God has for you? Or do you want what you want for yourself? Let me say it again. Do you really want what God has for you? Or do you want what you want for yourself? Or you bother and ask God, Lord, what do you want? What would you have me do? I've had to ask several times, especially this last two years, really, the ministry has been very difficult, funding just really at an all-time low for a lot of different reasons. Very discouraging on that front. And so you just say, Lord, is this it? Is this what it's supposed to look like? Is this it? And I have in mind these things that I want, that I want to see. And the Lord's saying to me, Walter, when are you finally going to let go of this thing and let me show you what I want it to look like, what I want it to be, where I want you in this? 
And so I'm committed to doing that this year, and I'm going to challenge you to do the same thing. Do you really want what you want, or do you want what God wants for you? Many people, including Christians, have a very difficult time separating out their wants from their needs. The Lord God will never let you go needy, but he may let your wants be unmet. You need to understand that. The second question is this. Do you even know how to discover what it is that God has for you? If there's new and fresh stuff out there, new fresh fire, new fresh anointings, do you know how to get there? Do you know how to find them? Do you know where they are? Some of you are going to be disappointed with the answers because there's nothing new here. There's nothing new under the sun, as Solomon said. Nothing new in the Word of God. There's no, no, there's no new revelation. Don't let people talk to you about the, they've got this new revelation and God revealed this to them. That, not if it's in conflict with the Word of God. God's revelation is more than we can handle in a lifetime, and that is through the written Word of God. This is His revelation to us. This is it right here. These 66 books this is his written revelation to us, and I promise you that if you will just study it, as I do, as many do, and if you'll commit to reading through, you will see Scripture jump off the page at you, and you think, I read that a hundred times before, and it didn't affect me like that. Why? Because God's got a new revelation for you in your life as it relates to that and what it means in your life. Now, there's nothing changed about the Word of God, and that verse is the same. But God is speaking to you through it differently based on your circumstances, all these things where you are, or simply the fact that you're finally willing to listen. You finally shut up, stop talking. He said, okay, Lord, speak to me, and I'm going to lean in and listen. Because that's the only time you're going to hear God. I'm a talker. I've been a talker since I was a baby. I got in trouble for it in school. Talk too much. Walter talks too much. Walter talks too much. <laughs> Some people say that today. See, it hadn't changed in 60-something years. But I'll tell you what I haven't learned to do over the years. I've learned to listen better. One, because I've been married for 38 years, and Gigi would probably say I'm still not a very good listener. Sometimes my children would probably say, and they're all grown now, uh, Dad wasn't a great listener. And I have regrets of that. But I've learned to listen, learned to listen, and people listen differently. But what I have learned to do over a number of years now in my, in my life as I've gotten older, and it's unfortunate sometimes it comes that time of your life, to lean in and listen to God. To just lean in and listen to what the Holy Spirit has to say. Because if I'm talking, I can't hear what he's saying. You know, I, he's not going to talk over me. God is not going to talk over you. Just want to lean in and listen. Read his words. See what it's got to say. And listen for what he has to say to you about that word, about its meaning, about its application in your life. That's how we're going to know. That's one of the ways we're going to know. And then the other is just praying. Just praying. Listen, we have got to be prayer warriors. We've got to be praying. Pray for yourself. That's a good thing. Pray for your family. Pray for, I pray for my children, my grandchildren. Pray for everyone around my life, in my life, a part of this ministry. Pray for people who are sick. I love praying over people who are sick. I believe strongly in healing. However God wants to do it, just pray. Just pray. When you don't know what to pray, just pray, Lord, I don't know what to pray. I love to teach people that prayer that David prayed one time. It's the shortest prayer in the Bible. Two words. David, King David, the shepherd boy, the king killed uh, Goliath. Mighty King, uh, Jesus Christ, came from the line of David and 
all the promises God made in that Davidic covenant with him. But David just cried out to God one time in the psalm. He said, help, Lord, help, Lord. That's a good prayer. Anybody can pray that. Anybody can pray that. Help, Lord, I need help. And then you can fill in the blanks however you want to. You'll get God's attention. Just say, help, Lord. I'm here and I'm dying. I'm sucking wind. I'm in a terrible place. This You can grouse. You can do whatever you want to. God's okay with that. He's just delighted that you took the time to come to him. Now, as you get older in the Lord, like me, you learn most of the way you go and you start, I start with Thanksgiving. And my journals are full of starting things. Lord, I'm thankful for this. And Lord, thank you for that. And thank, They start that way just because I have learned how much I have to be thankful for. Oh, Lord, I have so much to be thankful for. I want to thank you for breath that I woke up today and I got another day to tell someone about Jesus or write or teach something that might help someone, encourage them or, or call them out, whatever it takes. And I'm thankful for my wife, thankful for my children, my grandbabies, thankful for all of that. I'm thankful there's a roof over our head. I spent a lot of time or did before COVID with men and women who didn't have places to live and came into shelters. As I said, those in prison who are just glad to be there. It sounds sound like a strange thing, but it is the truth. I'm a thankful man. I am such a thankful man. Wasn't all my life. No, sir. I was a cocky, prideful young man. Even after I first came to Christ. You see, humility is this process of God that the world knows as humiliation. And sometimes it takes a long time to go from this starting point to where God wants you just broken and humble. And again, the best example of scripture is David in the Old Testament and the Apostle Paul in the New and the Apostle Peter as well. Broken and humble is where God can use us the most and best. But sometimes we don't want to be there. I don't want to be there. Not a good place to be, we think. I don't know. I've learned now it is the best place to be. And it sounds crazy, but it is. Well, in asking these questions, there's a third way I think that we can hear from the Lord. I'll be very careful with this one because prayer and the word of God are the two primary ways that God reveals himself. But there are confirmations from other people. There are times when I'm praying about something and Holy Spirit leads me to go get confirmation from someone else or ask them what they think. I ask my wife all the time what she thinks about everything that I'm writing, teaching just about everything. I just have that kind of trust in her and I really value her opinion. And, and sometimes I have a group of guys around me, accountability partners, that I will ask them what they think. <laughs> and I don't like their answers sometimes. That's okay. And by the way, I don't have to take that advice. Don't get mad if you give someone advice, they don't take it. You don't know that the Holy Spirit's just not using it as a sounding board. The iron sharpens iron. It doesn't mean you have to take it. What it does mean in my life and what I encourage people when I counsel guys is, look, you need to hear it. Now, ultimately, that decision is between you and the Lord. And if you're young in the Lord, then maybe you need to listen more and lean in more and, and take that advice and accept it because it's a good warning and preventing you from getting in trouble. So sometimes God puts those roadblocks in front of us. That's how people are used by God to help reveal his path, his will, his way. Other people can be used like that. But be very, very careful who you listen to. There are so many false teachers out there today, all these name it and claim it people, all these prosperity people that are not of the Lord. They're teaching false doctrine. Um, 
Jesus warned about them. The Apostle Paul warned about them. The Apostle John, who wrote last and late in his life, as well as in the late first century A.D., when he wrote 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, those are full of nothing but warnings of false teachers to keep you from becoming apostate, to keep you from falling away, to keep you from listening to false doctrine. It is so appropriate today because so many preachers and teachers who have lots of airtime because they have lots of money that people give them, get on television, sell their books and all this stuff, and it is full of nonsense and very little that has to do with what the Word of God is teaching. And sometimes they'll use just enough of the Word of God to trick you into it. Well, Satan's been known to do that as well as demons. And so I just want to give you great caution and warning there. Be careful who you listen to and from whom you seek counsel. Make sure that it's a godly man or woman that you know will tell you not what you want to hear. And maybe it is. Maybe it's an encouraging word. That's great. I love that. But also someone who would speak the truth in love. And that's what I try to do. All right. The third question is this. Are you willing to believe God and trust that he has your best interest at heart? Are you willing to just to believe God? Are you willing to believe him and trust him that he really does have your best interest at heart? Because he does. But sometimes it doesn't look like it and it doesn't feel like it when hard things happen. When the apostle Paul was being beaten to a pulp and left for dead and thrown out of the city, stoned even, stoned thinking he was dead, they threw him out of the city like a dog and beaten to death. Do you think he was thinking, well, Lord, um, this is your will, and I'm delighted to have this, delighted to do this. He was crazy. He actually did say that. He, he was so radically saved he said that. But Walter Spires does, and I'm not there yet. Lord, what are you doing? Lord, why is this happening? And you, and you just question God and question God, and why is this and why is that? Knowing that if we're in the Word, if we're on our knees, if we're just tight with the Lord, Stuff is going to happen, and we're going to question why, but we're going to know that God is sovereign, and we're going to trust that he has His our best interest at heart. And I'm going to share these verses with you before we wrap up here in a few minutes. But one of the things that we need to remember as Christians is this. In terms of God's plan for our lives, God's will for our lives that you've heard a lot about, and I've taught a lot on, I've taught a lot on that over the years and counsel people about that, but... It can be a very difficult thing, but understand one thing about it that's always the truth. The will of God for your life, the plan of God for your life is a scroll, a scroll. They used scrolls. They didn't have these things, these pages and books in the Bible. They had scrolls that they rolled out a little bit at a time, right? You just roll out a scroll a little bit at a time, and it reveals a little bit more as you unroll more of that. It's not a map. Now, I'm guessing most millennials today have no idea what a map is. <laughs> I'm not talking about the map app on your phone or Google Maps or Apple Maps or that. I'm talking about an actual paper map. I used to love sitting and looking through the old uh, Rand, Mac Rand McNally or Rand McNally, whatever that was, that atlas, you know, and look at all the highways around and figure out which way we were going and driving somewhere. That just dates me. I'm a fossil. <laughs> But it's not a roadmap you can fold out and say, okay, I'm starting over here. And let's say I started as a young boy in Anderson, South Carolina. Then I went up to Warsaw, Indiana. Then I went down to New Orleans and I came back up here. Then I went there, went to Memphis and all these different things that I've done. No, no. God rolls us out a little bit at a time because that's all we can handle. That's all we can handle. It's okay, God, you've rolled us out now. 
today I'm standing here and it is what is Tuesday evening, January the 4th. My little grandson's birthday is tomorrow, three years old. I'm remembering that. So Thursday, uh, Tuesday, January 4th, I'm standing here in Franklin, Tennessee, teaching on Facebook Live. And this will go out for thousands of people around wherever. But right now, this is where I'm and I'm teaching. That's all I need to know. Don't know what's going to happen when I finish. I have no idea. Maybe I'll go get something to eat. I'm not sure. But you see, God unrolls it this way to us. And we have to trust him with that. He's not going to let you see. It's like driving at night on all these mountains around here, going over to East Tennessee, driving at night. It's dark and uh, hopefully it's not foggy because that makes it really bad. But when you're going around there, going down Mont Eagle, which is a big steep mountain between here and Atlanta, Georgia, where you go down into Chattanooga, you can't see around those curves. Your headlights only go as far. Headlight travels in a straight line. I can't see around that curve. Can't. Never will be able to. I have to be going slow enough or in control enough to know that as I turn around there, I'll see what's in front of me. I will never see more than what's in front of me in a car because the headlights like traveling a straight line, then travel on a curve. So just think about that. The last one on the questions is this. Can God trust you? Ask you willing to trust God. Can God trust you with what he's got for you? Can God trust you with his plan for your life? I don't know. I have to ask that for my life. It begins with stewardship. We're talking about stewardship. Stewardship is that how you take care of whatever God has given you, whatever God has given you, whatever amount of financial resources he's given you, a good steward of that. Are you giving, tithing, those things that people do? And by the way, the New Testament didn't talk about tithing. It talks about just giving and giving abundantly and giving it all. The New Testament church, they gave it all. People want to talk about that. But are you a good steward of what God's given you? Are you so talented and gifted? There's so many people in this area. My goodness, I've lived a lot of places, but I have never seen the level of talent and giftedness there is here in Metro Nashville, Tennessee. We live just south of Nashville. It's amazing. These young men and women are just skilled and talented, and you love seeing them trying to use their talents. And most are trying. It's hard to break through. There are many unbelievably talented singers and songwriters and performers who never got their break. And there are many that are good, but they're not as good as these people over here. And you wonder why. You've heard street musicians I had that are really good and really talented. You think, wow, that person's going to get somewhere, going to get a break. What if they don't? Well, they're trying to still be a good steward of what God has given them, the good stewards of their talent. Are you uh, foregoing your talent because you can't make a living doing it. Can't make any money doing that. Well, who knows? What, what do you need to make? You see, again, we're looking between needs and wants. God will provide all of your needs, maybe not all your wants, but I know this. The Lord God wants you to be a good steward of your talent, whatever he's done for you. Some of you are good with numbers. Some of you are good at writing and different things. And, yeah, you have to pay your bills, but God knows that, and God will make a way. Be a good steward of what God's given you. Do not walk away from that. Don't be afraid to do that. Again, that's not believing God. That's believing man, what they tell you. What's God telling you? What's God telling you to do? Well, again, we go back to question one. The answer, lean in and listen. Prayer, in the word. What's he telling you to do? But are you going to be a good steward of what he gives you? Because God is not going to give you and challenge you to go further, go up here, if you haven't dealt with what's down here. We've got to deal with this stuff first. Then let God Move us on up. Listen, I have struggled with that. I still struggle with that. 
I should be embarrassed to admit it at my age, but I'm not every day of my life. Lord, what do you want to do? And well, it's, Walter, what have you done with what I've given you? So that's my question to you. What have you done with what God's given you? Step back and do a little assessment yourself of, of your own stewardship. Now, let me wrap up with these promises of God I'm going to give you in Scripture. And I want to encourage your socks off with them. I teach hard stuff. I really do. I teach the Word of God, and I teach the difficult truths of the Word of God and some of the hard stuff that's in here, because it is hard. And God intended it that way. And Jesus didn't live an, live an easy life, and he certainly didn't die an easy death and all these things. And, and God expects his people to follow and walk in that same path, to what take up that cross daily and follow him. And that's why so many people ran away from Jesus, because they knew when he started using that cross language, most of them were gone because it meant one thing in that day. It meant one death, right? It meant one thing only. And these people said, mm, that's not what I signed up for. Well, there's a lot of people in the church and in the world calling themselves Christians today who have abandoned the cross. They've abandoned it. And so I just keep teaching it. But God did say that the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. And that, that breaks my heart. So I keep teaching and I keep preaching it. Let me encourage you, though, with these three verses before we go. And there's one thing I got to do before we stop, before, before I get into these. Context, 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 because a lot of people who teach the Word of God will grab a verse there. And I know this one, what that means. And I can quote this one. Um, you know, I can do all things through God who strengthens me. And if you know that, did you know the right before that Paul's talking about where he is in prison and being beaten and dying or starving or all these things, um, living in good times, living in bad times. That's what that verse comes out of. I can do all things through Christ. That is what most people are thinking about when they quote that verse or they have it on their head or they have it on their, you know, something on their arms, your football player, whatever. It's the context that matters. You can't grab verses out of scripture and say, oh, I like that one. That one's got the love of God. Well, that one's got the grace of God. That one's got the mercy of God. Oh, don't like that one. It talks about judgment and hell and accountability and sin. Don't like those. So it's the context of Scripture that we need to understand and must, and you must be under good teaching, good biblical teaching, people who are going to stay true and faithful to the Word of God in the context with which it was given. So important. Otherwise, you will chase after these false teachers because they all know a verse or two. <laughs> But it's way out of context most of the time, especially all that name it and claim it nonsense. The Bible, not one place in the New Testament does it talk about rich Christians and getting rich or double blessings and all this stuff. If you give your this guy, it doesn't talk about that. Mm -mm. Not in the New Testament that I read and study and teach. All right. Many Christians know this verse. It's one you learn earlier in, Christ, in your Christian life sometimes in Lamentations 3. Jeremiah wrote the book of Lamentations like he did Jeremiah. Some think Ezra, who's a scribe, wrote it, but Jeremiah is given credit for because Lamentations, lament, means what? To weep and cry. And Jeremiah, because of his ministry and how he was mistreated and put in stocks and thrown in holes and all this stuff because the people of God didn't want to hear God's word. The lamenting prophet, the weeping, crying prophet was Jeremiah, and he said this. This is a good word. Jeremiah said, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. These words give Jeremiah, the weeping, suffering, beaten prophet, hope. What is that? The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Every morning. I'm getting chills just thinking about that. 
you had a bad day, a bad year, a bad decade, well, think about this. It hadn't been as bad as Jeremiah's or the other prophets who suffered or beaten. Many were killed. Most were killed. He said, this I remember, and it gives me hope. Lamentations 3, 21 to 25 is where I'm taking this, okay? Lamentations 3, 21 to 25. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, never, ever, ever. His mercies, his mercies, that compassion never comes to an end. They're new every morning. Every morning when you get up, you can thank God that he's got new mercies for you. No matter what you do, if you're born again in Christ, there is forgiveness for you. And if you're not, there's forgiveness for you. If you will bow the knee and confess your sins and receive Christ as Savior, then you can say and exclaim like we do, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Those mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Oh, what powerful words. But he went on to say this. Most of us know that verse. The next verse is this. The Lord is my portion, my supply, in other words, my need. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him. And listen to this word now. To the soul who seeks him, who diligently seeks him. You want to find out what God has for you? Then seek him. And that leads right into those verses in Jeremiah 29 that many people know. And a lot of people know this verse. You'll see it all over the place. And it is so out of context in Jeremiah 29, 11. I'm going to give you that context briefly as we begin to wrap this up. Jeremiah 29, 11, and you know verse 11 says, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for your welfare, not for your calamity, to give you a future and a hope. Now, the context is this right above it. The nation, the, the nation of Judah, that split nation of Judah, has gone into Babylon. They're going for 70 years into captiv captivity. The nation of Israel will never exist again until 1948. So this is in that when 586 B.C. is when uh, Babylon finally came in and destroyed the temple and took the remnants captive. And from that point forward, from 586 B.C. to, to 1948 after World War II, zip no nation of Israel. So this is the context. This is what's about to happen when Jeremiah says, God says to him, I know the future and plans I'm going to give for you. Well, you know what? Jeremiah never got to experience that. Okay? Jeremiah never got to experience this. How he finally dies or goes away is somewhat unknown. We think he was one of that group that went off to Egypt. Not completely certain. Different Jewish historians treat it differently. I'm no Jewish historian. I just know what I've read. But this is what he said. That's where that verse comes from, okay? It is not about this name it and claim it nonsense. It is not. It's about some tragedy about to befall the entire nation, the disobedient people of God, but his promise that on the other side of that, they have a future and a hope. The good news for you is that no matter what you've done, no matter where you are, on the other side of your relationship with Jesus Christ, on the other side of you receiving him as Savior, you've got a future and a hope. You do. Praise God. That's exciting. That is exciting. God went on to tell Jeremiah, here's how we find it. Here's how we figure it out. You will come to me. You will call upon me and pray to me, and I will listen to you. Those two things I shared in the last segment, word of God, prayer. He said, you'll come to me, you'll call on me, and you'll pray to me, and I will listen. Lord God, 2021 stunk. Lord, help make it better. Okay, fine. Lean in and listen, and let me tell you how. And that's what God is telling Jeremiah here, telling these people. 
on the other side of that. And then it goes on to say this. You'll seek me and you'll find me when you search for me with all of your heart. And here's the promise. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. I will be found by you. But the onus is on you. Whoever you are watching, reading, listening to this, the burden is on you. You go seek the Lord. He's not lost. He's not hiding from you. He's not hiding. You just are too proud or too busy or too something to go and seek the Lord and ask him, Lord, what have you got for me? What have you got for me? Well, the first answer is always going to be at Jesus. And if you're secure in Christ, then fine. Well, okay, Lord, I got that. Now, how do I grow in the Holy Spirit so that I know what you want me to do and confirm it? And I walk by the Spirit and in the Spirit as the Apostle Paul taught us to do. Because we don't walk according to flesh. We walk according to the Spirit if you're born again in Christ. If you're not, you're walking in the flesh every day, just in the quicksand, in the muck and the mire. But if you will seek God, he says, I will be found by you. I will be found by you. I'm not hiding on you. So, Christian, if you're in a really bad place, if you're depressed and discouraged and down because things have been so bad, caving in around you, all this stuff that, that Satan has created through everything referenced to this virus, it is demonic. It is demonic. It has been demonic from day one. He loves that because he's the prince of the power of the air. If God allowed him to have dominion over this world because man forfeited it in the garden and Satan was given that. And so it's a mess. And I've got bad news. This side of heaven, this side of Christ's return, it doesn't get any better. Doesn't it get any better? So God says, seek me while I may be found by you. Seek me while it's still called today. And that's my encouragement to those of you who are not, not in Christ, that you're still lost and without hope. But if not, God said, go and seek me and you will find me. And the last one I have for you on th this message today is, is one, again, that's wildly taken out of context sometimes in Romans 8, 28. And, and most Christians could recite this one. It's a well-known verse. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Let me read it again. Romans 8, 28. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him and who are called according to his purposes. That's us as Christians. Let me clarify that before I shut this down. It does not say we know that God causes all good things to work together for us. It doesn't. People get these words confused. Some do it intentionally. The prosperity guys, all good things. It's all going to be good things. No, it isn't. There's still going to be death and sickness and all kinds of things go on in your life. It's a product of the fall. It's a product of sin. We're always going to have that. It's how we deal with it. It's who we go to for relief from it. It's who we go to for restoring us and restoring our hope. God is using all these things for our good. Ultimately, it will grow you up in Christ sometimes. It will make you stronger sometimes. It will force your wayward soul back to him sometimes. Lots of purposes there. All that is working for our good, but it ain't good stuff. It ain't good stuff. It is not. It is not. It's God is not causing all good things to happen for our good. He's causing all things or allowing all things, allowing all things. And again, God does not cause all things. That's another thing. God allows some things, causes others. How do I know? It's what the Bible teaches. And discerning the difference sometimes is difficult. But we know that God is sovereign. God is sovereign. 
So whether he caused it or allowed it or whatever, he's sovereign and he is God. And at the end of the day, Christian, we have to let God be God. Whether we like the outcome or the answer to our prayer or the lack of answer to our prayer, that's the hard part of this. That's the hard part of this. But when we learn to do that, when we learn to let God be God and, and accept that and receive it, then we can understand what he has new for us. But you see, we've got all this stuff getting in the way, the circumstances and the problems and all the world and the, and the junk that the world teaches and some pe- preachers teach. You have to clear all that stuff. Clear the past out. Stop looking back and start answering these questions for yourself. And then remember and stand on these promises of God. Because another verse says the promises of God in him, they are yes and amen to the glory of God. I think that's in 2 Corinthians, I believe. Paul said that. And the, the promises of God, they're all yes and amen in Christ for God's glory. You have to hold on to that, Christian. You have to hold on to that. In 2 Corinthians 5, 7, we have another verse that, again, we learned even as baby Christians or I learned as a kid growing up in church. We walk by faith, not by sight. That's a hard thing to understand and believe sometimes. We walk by faith, not by sight. (laughs) It's like that example about driving in the mountains. I want to walk by sight. Then I'll have faith. Well, if you know where you're going, it doesn't take any faith to get there, right? If you know what the outcome is, doesn't take any faith to get there. God expects for us to live by faith. We receive Christ by faith, right? We're saved by grace, by grace through faith, not of ourselves. It's faith. Faith in believing that God is who he says he is. We trust him for who he says he is. Then he will pour out for you this, this knowledge, these blessings to know. And again, they're not always good and great in what you wanted. But we need to take what God gives us, what he wants for us, use it for his glory, your talents, your giftedness, whatever it is. Look at your stewardship. We want to glorify God with our lives, good times, bad times. Look at the apostle Paul, just glorifying God, praising him sitting in prison, praising him chained to guards and things like that. That's where I want to be. I've got so far to go, so far to go. But God knows that. And he's patient. Oh, is he patient? Patient with a man like me has to be. He's patient with you as well. And God has a purpose and a plan for your life. And he's not hiding. But it's here. And you have to go seek him. And you'll find it. And you'll find him. And you'll find that word. You'll find that new thing he has for you in 2022. Don't stay back. Don't hold back. Don't look back. God's got something new. And it's all ahead for you in 2022. One last word to those who are watching. If you're watching, reading, listening to this, however you've got this, and you are without Christ, you're lost and hopeless and you're struggling and the last couple of years have been terrible, awful, and it's just put you into more of a tailspin than you already were in, or, or maybe you're just getting by and you wonder, there's got to be more to it than this. Well, I hope this message has encouraged you in that because everything that I've taught, everything that I've said can be yours. It can be yours, but, and it's a big but there, it requires you to understand that you are a sinner and understand that your life is broken by sin, just as all of ours was, but not anymore. Because we, at some point, we bowed the knee and we came before God and said, Lord, I've screwed this up and I need a savior. And God's answer is, I got that. I got that. I sent my son to die for you. And if you would just receive him, repent of those sins and receive him as Savior, 
we got a different conversation to have. And he does, and he will. And I pray that you will, for Christ's sake. Amen. God bless you. Have a good night. To learn more about how you can become a Christian or grow in your walk with the Lord and receive freely of all the biblically-based content we have created or donate to help keep this ministry going strong, go to onlyjesus.life. That's onlyjesus.life.